You're listening to the Writing New South Wales podcast, where you can hear conversations, panel discussions and readings from New South Wales writers and industry experts. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we're meeting today on the lands of the Wongal and Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the first storytellers of this country, and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Okay, let's get started for our second session. We are so lucky today. Um, I'm just going to introduce you to the, um, the speakers on this amazing panel. We're talking today about building career longevity, publicity, social media, marketing and resilience. Um, so, um, first of all, I'd like to introduce the beautiful Dot Tonkin. She is a publishing marketing powerhouse. Dot ran a magazine for kids called DMAG for many years. Then she switched to become the in-house children's marketing manager for Penguin Random House. She has a reputation for training her authors to be some of the best... <laughs> the best in the business for promoting their books. She did such, sadly, she did such a brilliant job that she's now the marketing and publicity director for the whole of Penguin Random House Australia across all publishing, including those adult people. Yeah. yeah, not so much fun. Anyway, thank you so much, Dot. So thrilled to have you here. We also have Paul McDonald down the end there. Also another one of my favourite book people. Paul's worked as a teacher, a literacy consultant for many years. He ran the beautiful children's bookshop, which was one of the most beautiful bookshops in Sydney. He has organised literally hundreds and hundreds of book launches and speaking gigs, often dressed up as a you know, tiger onesie or as a pirate. Thanks, Paul. Um, and he has literally helped launch the careers of dozens of Australia's top children's authors. And because he just doesn't sleep at all, he also established a small picture book imprint called the Book Trail Press. So we're so lucky to have Paul here as well. Thank you, Paul. And of course, you have the amazing Mick Elliott here. And he is a multi-talented creative. He is the author and illustrator, how do you do both? For the very funny book series, Squidge Dibley, it's sold overseas into six international territories and the Turners as well. And his books are hugely popular with middle grade kids, especially reluctant boy readers. He's also a TV producer and screenwriter, because he doesn't sleep either. And Mick has created award-winning children's TV shows for Nickelodeon, The Sesame Workshop, 10 and the ABC. And he's also a professional mischief maker who delights in making kids laugh, whether he's, whether he's performing at the recent Sydney Writers' Festival or here today. So can you welcome all three of our amazing um, And of course, I'm Belinda Morrell. Um, so I just wanted to kick off by giving an overview of the business of the publishing industry. We all know that it's very difficult to get a book published. Yet the decision of what gets published is really complex. It could be driven by passion, as we talked about with Deb before, research, trends, and perhaps gut feel. But essentially, a new book needs to sell well to cover the cost of publishing, because publishing is, of course, a business. So, Dot, I know that the publicity and marketing teams are really heavily involved in the decision of what children's books are published. Can you tell us how the acquisitions process actually works? and what the marketing team in particular are looking for. And are you guided by research, trends, or is it just gut feel? Okay, well, to give you uh, an overview to begin with, um, before the acquisitions process, uh, quite often we have unsolicited manuscripts come in, so thousands of those might come in in a year, and actually I will say we do read all of them. Um, and then sometimes we get solicited things, so authors we work with or agents send us things, but um, let's fast forward to the process called the acquisitions meeting, which is the most important thing, because that's where the editors and publishers, when they're passionate about a book, a book or a manuscript, they bring it to this meeting, and that's where we decide, are we going to publish it? And in that meeting, we have publishers, we have the sales team, and we have marketing and publicity, and I'm the marketing and publicity director, so um, I'm usually in that meeting, or, and a couple of other people from my team sometimes. And what it comes down to essentially is, is it a great story? That is the first and number one thing that we look for. It has to be a great story because if it's not a great story, it's going to be hard to sell it. And then we all bring our different perspectives. So sales might say, um, you know, uh, I think this is going to work really well with independent bookstores or um, Big W who actually sells a lot of books but we won't mention about them, too much about them today. <laughs> <Don't tell> <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, but then from the marketing and publicity point of view, what we look for is, is there something unique about this book that when we promote it, 
uh, that we can talk to the market. And who is the audience for this book? So, um, especially with young readers, an audience for a picture book, the people we promote it to, even though the person that's going to enjoy it is maybe a four-year-old child, the person we have to promote it to is the parent or the grandparent who's going to buy that book. Because obviously a three-year-old or a four-year-old is not going to walk into a store and buy it. Um, and if it's a teenage audience, you know, how are we going to reach that market? If it's a, a middle grade book, what do we do to market it? So sometimes if we see a really big opportunity for those things, then we will say, yeah, it's a great story and it has that behind it. Of course, we'll still publish things that are just great stories and we think we're not so sure how to market, but it really gives it a boost when there's, um, you can really see that opportunity ahead of you. Oh, that's fantastic, Doc, because yeah, it's always, it was always a mystery to me, that whole acquisitions when I first started out. It was terrifying. Um, Paul, there must be literally thousands of new kids' books published in Australia every year, let alone millions of international titles. As a bookseller, how do you choose which books you're going to sell? And how did you know whether to stock, like, maybe one copy or two copies or a huge stack? And are you influenced by current trends um, or genres? It's a big question. I know. Um, but you can do it. I can do it. You know what, every bookseller, um, I mean, a good bookseller has to know the community they sell to, okay? So I had a bricks and mortar store in Beecroft. They loved history, that the, the adults, adults like um, history. Um, they were quite literary. So you've got to know the market. Now we're in Erskineville, we service about 300 schools. Kat Colby is here from Ravenswood. You've got to know your client base and say, you know, I, I can sell it to this client base. You can't be, service everyone in the world, you need to service your community. And my belief as a bookseller, my guess as a human being is, is a position of humility. Um, you've got to respect your audience, you know, your community, and try to do the best you can for that community. Um, so in terms of choosing what to stock, you've got to match the community. I am a big believer in supporting Australian first. I am a big believer in trying to represent some new voices as well. You know, because particularly COVID has changed things, so I think the market has narrowed. Dot may or may not agree with me. But I know booksellers, you know, it's easy to go for safe and think, you know, um, you know, Menfox will sell, I'll just get lots of Menfox. Um, so I mean I'm very passionate about book selling, passionate about getting a book into um, a kids or adults' hands. Um, but I think you know, you've got to represent the whole community. Um, and finally, there is a psychology of book selling. If there's a stack of books, people want to get that because they don't want to miss out. So rather than have 100 books times two, you are better to get 20 books times five or 10 books times 10. I don't believe in the, I'm not knocking Kmart and so on, where they'll have stacks of, you know, 10 titles only. So, you know, Kmart might only represent Belinda Morell and two other authors. But a stack of books is a confidence thing. So, you know, as a customer, you go in, there's a stack, you think, everyone else is reading it, I need to buy that. So, as a bookseller, there's no point in getting 100 titles times one. You've got to go bigger on fewer titles, I think. Dots and only. Yeah. There is a saying, stack them high, watch them fly. Yeah. I mean, as a bookseller, I go into some bookshops and I think, how the hell does this owner of the bookshop afford to have stacks of 100? You know, because that's a cash flow thing, you know, amazing. But, and I think, boy, I need to go back and order more of those books because that's confidence. Yeah, it's all about confidence. Thank you, Paul. Um, Nick, I want to talk to you about agents because you and I both represented by literary agents, Curtis Brown. Um, and they help us with the nitty-gritty of publishing, um, the contracts and things like that. Can you tell us what your agent does for you? It's Fiona Inglis, isn't it, at Curtis Brown? That's right, yeah. yes. And what does she do for you and how does it help and um, how do your international sales work? Uh, well, I can safely say I probably wouldn't be sitting here or have any real career in publishing and writing without Fiona Inglis, my agent. Um, but getting an agent wasn't easy and it took... Um, best part of a couple of years of knocking on doors and, and rejections from various publishers and being told by agents who were kind enough to, to read what I'd submitted to them that um, it needed to be something completely different and I was going down the wrong track. I was very, very, very lucky um, with Fiona that uh, she happened to have two young boys who were the exact age of the um, audience for the book that I was writing at the time, The Turners, um, and she managed to get through doors that wouldn't have been able to be opened had I been cold calling and going to 
enormous slush pile that uh, the doc uh, mentioned. So obviously an agent um, brings credibility and um, gets the publisher's attention because the publishers know that if an agent is putting this forward that they have faith in it and that they have a sense of its marketability. So that, that's, that's the first thing. Um, and then the other part of it is that uh, well, being, being an author, there's a tremendous amount of admin <laughs> involved. There's, there's you know, everything involved with contracts and invoicing, all that sort of thing. So you know, the great luxury of being uh, represented um, is that they can take care of a lot of that stuff. And you get a nice email saying, here are your royalties for this month, and it will go to your bank account. And you're like, yes, that's great. Um, so that's really great. Um, and then in terms of international sales, well, then, again, they, um, you know, Fiona, whenever we are working on pitching a new um, manuscript, they, they will sort of advise on how they think that the deal should be structured. So, and I've actually, with my two um, main series that I've done, The Turners and Squidge Ghibli, um, The Turners, Curtis Brown actually kept the international rights because they felt they could um, sell them themselves internationally. With Squidge Ghibli, we sold global rights um, to Hachette, um, who then went and you know, sold the, the book in the other market. So it, it works both ways, but um, I mean, international sales are just the best because you kind of don't have to do much else than say, yes, I'm happy for the German version of Squish Dibbly to be called Larry Louch. <laughs> Squish Dibbly, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So I'm sure you get this as well, Mick, but one of the main questions I get asked by aspiring and emerging writers is about how much money um, we make and can you so make a living as a writer? My favourite is Oliver's um, response. He says, I make so many, so many, so many cents. Which <laughs> <laughs> makes the kids laugh. Um, we've all seen in the movies how debut authors get a phone call from a publisher offering them a million dollars for their brilliant book. <laughs> Unfortunately, the reality is Spirulina. Um, so I'm going to start with Dot. Again, could you please explain how publishing advances and royalties really work? Uh, what would be a typical print run for a debut children's um, book and what advance would be offered to a debut author? So there's a bit in there, but um, if we can start with how publishing advances and royalties really work. Okay, and I'm gonna preface this by saying that I'm on the marketing publicity side, so publishing looks after this part, but I did um, pick publishing's brains just to make sure <clears throat> I was across enough before this. So um, advances um, are paid generally when we sign the book and we pay an amount at that point, but then also when you deliver your manuscript and then also when the book is published. And at this point, you have to bear in mind that the publisher still has not sold a <laughs> single book. <laughs> and um, when the book is published, at that point, we have printed the book, we've um, done a whole marketing and sales campaign, so we've had considerable outlay without at this point, having sold the book. So it, it is nerve-wracking for the author, but for the publisher, how's it gonna go? And then, of course, um, hopefully it sells well. So uh, for the first three months are really critical for a book. Uh, a lot of booksellers work on seller return, which is where if they don't sell it, they return it, and they return it after three months. So you want it to go really well. So we put all our efforts into those first three months. And then should the book do well, then uh, the author, once they've earned out the um, advance, then they get the lovely royalties. And um, you know, our great hope as a publisher is that the book will just live on and on and on, and the authors will get a lovely royalty check forever and ever. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, was, was, that, was there another part to that question? Or yes, was, it was. was it? Sorry, it was a bit complex. Um, what would be a typical print run for a debut children's book? And I know that's sort of like how long is a piece of string, yeah. but, and what advance would be offered to that debut, debut author if you pick a... Yeah, so the print run um, does vary and uh, essentially we acquire a book and on a certain number. So we, at that point in the acquisitions meeting, think, okay, how many do we think we can sell of this book? And so that's going to determine its print run. And so that determines um, the advance in a way. But what then happens is closer to the book coming out, um, we've sold it into booksellers. We sell in five months before the book is out. And if we get lots of booksellers saying, hey, I want heaps of this book, then we're gonna up that print run. Um, but then conversely, by, you know, sometimes means beyond, things happen that are out of our control, for instance, COVID. <laughs> or another author has bought out a book exactly like that with another publisher and it came out one month before. So um, in sometimes, the, we thought we might print 5,000 and we just don't get those orders from booksellers. Yep. 
And we're all, we try to, as well, much as we can, match how many we print with how many we think we're gonna need. Because there's no point overprinting 5,000, it's an environmental waste, it's, um, you know, you've got to truck more books everywhere, so it's not good. So, essentially, between 3,000 would probably be the lowest we ever print. Yep. Um, it can be, if you, it's a really exciting big one, it might be 20,000. If you're the most famous person in the world and it's a debut author, it might be 40,000. Yep. But it, that's very rare. Generally, between three to 10,000. Fantastic, thank you. Um, Paul. When I had my first book published a long time ago, I was surprised to see that part of my royalties were held by my publisher in case of returns, which Doc just mentioned. As a bookseller, can you explain in more detail that sale or return policy and how it really works and what happens, do you know, what happens to the books that get returned? You probably know that. <laughs> um, it is good for, can I say, advice for emerging writers and writers to have a sense of the market, you know, what happens. Nada Moore is sitting at the back and she's got a great sense of the entire market. Um, if a bookseller couldn't return a book, the bookshop would explode because there's so many titles that come out. So um, return policy is after three months, for most publishers, you can return a book between, say, three to 12 months. If cash flow is tight, does anyone here run a business? <laughs> No one, please, come on. It's good, everyone should run a business. If cash flow is tight, you return, you know, as soon as you can. You know, even if it's written by Dot Tonkin, you love Dot, you think, you know what, we haven't sold anything in three months or not, really. let's return. So in a bookshop, the person who picks the returns, if you go into a bookshop and someone's just taking books off, unless it's a really good customer, um, is probably just literally taking returns they're sent off. Um, so basically, the publisher and, I guess, the author, you are renting space in the bookshop. Yeah. And you, you need to respect that, you know? Like, that. basically, if you've got a book in a window or you've got a book in a prime spot or you've got 10 book space out on a shelf, you are renting that space. So authors sometimes have no idea how many books they've sold for the first 12 months because maybe there's a sell-in from booksellers at 5,000 books. Perhaps if this won't happen. But if nothing sells, 5,000 may go back. What happens to them, they may be remainded, which means they're sold, discounted. Um, whole range of things, do they get pulped as well sometimes? Yeah, some do get pulped. Yeah, I hate to think that. And think. It is, and it's uh, one of, we're passionate about sustainability and the whole industry is looking at, you know, yeah. what is the environmental cost of that? Yeah, and you know, I know some people say, can't they just give the books out, but then it, it, it you know, what's the point of selling books? So you can't give them out. And I know that would be nice to do, but basically books are remainder put on the special. And there's some um, chains out there that are very good with remainders as well. Um, but basically at the moment, I think a lot of booksellers, the returns are fierce, you know? It's three, after three months, let's return those books because, um, you know, it's been a tight couple of years. We'll talk about sales figures later. Um, was that all that parts of the question? So that was yeah, what happened to them. And um, yeah, so that's great. Um, all right, Nick, this is for you. So the ASA, which is the Australian Society of Authors, recently published a survey which found that more than half of full-time writers earn less than $15,000 a year from their creative practice. Um, so most authors I know, including me, rely on diverse forms of income. For example, as well as writing books, I do lots of creative writing teaching, I speak in schools, I go to festivals like this, etc. Um, Nick, I know this is a really cheeky question, but could you run through some of the different ways you earn income from your writing and how do you juggle your career as a TV producer without it being a kid's author? Uh, it's a really good question um, because I think everyone has the dream of, um, you know, walking into their boss's office and saying, I've got a book deal, screw you all. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I think there's, there's probably very, very few authors who work as full-time authors, you know, unless you are... Tim Winton or someone like that, um, and, and have a guarantee of knowing that people will want, want your book and get massive advances and that sort of thing. So it's actually imperative as an author that you have an, a reliable income. Um, and you know, I've been lucky enough that you know, and I've basically worked full time from you know, basically from the early nineties until uh, just only a couple of years ago, and I still essentially work full time, but in a different way. Um, because if you want to write, you're going to write, and and just knowing that you've got that stable income to do it. Um, it's what facilitates it. So more recently though, um, I, I basically work sort of job to job on TV shows and that, that has worked really, really well, but I've managed to 
um, do that because of the previous 20 years that led to that of having connections and knowing um, different companies like the ABC and at the minute I'm working for Nickelodeon again. Um, but that's all contract work, so it's all sort of just show to show, job to job. Um, but the great flexibility of that is going is being able to go, okay, I know for the next six months I'm going to be working as a script editor or as an exec in charge of production on this particular show. That's going to require X amount of hours a week, doing it all from home uh, more recently. And um, then in every spare moment that I've got, I'm going to be writing as well. So so for me, my, my income is a mixture of um, contract work for on TV shows, um, obviously the things you've mentioned, um, yeah. author appearances, festivals, school bookings, all that sort of thing are, are a really, really important part of the income as well. Um, and then, then obviously the actual, um, you know, uh, writing <laughs> as well, which is, you know, the so smallest part of the pie, yeah. pretty much. Fantastic. And it's a juggle, it's well, a juggle. Yeah, it is a juggle, isn't it? You're so right. Um, okay, this is about building a strong author brand. So I was mentoring a debut author a few years ago and she complained to me, can you imagine that, she's just got a book deal, and she complained to me that her publicist had asked her to ramp up her social media presence and marketing activities. And the author said she hated marketing and she just wanted to write more books. And I immediately thought of what Dot might have had to say about that. Um, so Mick, back to you. How much time each week or month do you spend promoting your books? And I know that's a tricky question because it's not just social media, it's getting in schools and festivals and things like that. And, and exactly what does it entail for you in marketing your books? Uh, the, the amount of time fluctuates. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of between um, releases at the minute. Yeah. My last book came out in 2020. Great time for a book to come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my next one doesn't come out for another year, even though yeah. it's basically finished. Um, so obviously when, it, when I've got a book coming out, I'll be doing a lot more and always working very, very closely with the publishing company. So, you know, you'll usually be working up to six months out, working on bookstore tours. Um, I've been lucky enough to collaborate with Paul on a number of releases to do book launches and that sort of thing. Um, but there's, there's, sort of no, there's no magic figure. But uh, what I would say is that um, as, as an author, you have to be prepared to get out there and, and sell your books. You have to be prepared, and I don't mean physically sell them, but to promote them, to do everything you can, because um, what we've already heard from, from Dot and Paul is there's a very, very small window in which your book is lucky enough to have that shelf space. So the publisher relies on the author to do everything they can as well. And so I've, I've spent, as, as I'm sure, you know, the other authors in the room, like, I've spent countless, uh, you know, Saturday mornings out at a bookstore, out in a shopping centre at Miranda, you know, signing books for three people, you know, <laughs> simply so that you can be there, you can be a presence and you can do whatever you can. So bookstore appearances, you do as many of them as you can. You know, obviously school visits, you you know, it's great when, again, you can work with someone like Paul, the children's bookshop guys, because they will help to stimulate sales as part of books, um, uh, uh, school appearances. So it's really as much as you physically can do. And, and if you are lucky enough to have a book coming and have a, a, a publishing deal, you should be thinking about that six months in advance, um, about the campaign, about social media, about what you can do on the ground to, to do everything you can, because you basically can't do too much. Pretty much. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, Paul, you have worked with literally hundreds of authors over the years. So, what do you think? And because you've got a, a mixed background as a publisher, as a bookseller, um, you know, getting into schools, what do you think are the most important things authors can do to help bookshops to sell their books? Okay. Most um, important. You know, the most important thing is to remember the story that you're writing, and Dot would agree. Because I meet a lot of these people going, I'm an emerging writer and I've got 20,000 followers and I've got this great, you know, like I, I tap dance on TikTok and stuff like that. And I start to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> and then like, what's the book you're writing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, you know, it, it's, it's secondary. And so the priority has to be that. But I agree absolutely with, I'm sure, everyone on the panel. And Mick is a great role model for someone who's prepared to get out there. It's a hard slog. If you look at someone like Andy Griffiths, he spent years and years going out to schools, doing small gigs. I was talking to Marcus Zuzak. Have you heard of Marcus? Um, you know, doing events where no one turned up. He's got a famous story. He went to a library, and this librarian, I think, was in love with him because he's, he's quite spunky. Um, no one turned up to the event in the early days, and she said, just do the event for me. <laughs> and you know what? He did it. Um, very weird. One person in the room, the eye contact is uncomfortable. Um, but you've got to put your hand up and say, I'm going to get out there. 
Um, I, and the, the other thing is hand selling is so important. So for a start, have a good relationship with independent bookshops. Good relationship with the book owner, if you, even if you think Paul McDonald's a cranky old bastard. Um, Never. Yeah, I'm not saying compromise yourself, but you know, you've got to um, really take that position of humility, be prepared to get out there, put your hand up to do story time, even if it's, and I've done some really dodgy events, trust me, um, but you've got to be prepared to do the dodgy event, you know, where there's one, and Belinda's nodding, where there's two kids, three kids. Someone like Andy Griffiths, absolute role model, it took him years to get to the position he's in, and always, I think, I do a lot of work with schools, and sometimes I speak at network meetings and there's 10 librarians. I think, I've just driven two hours, like I was at Newcastle last week, to talk to 10 librarians, but that's 10 schools. That's maybe, um, you know, 10,000 kids. So you've just got to be an optimist. Last thing I'll say is, Publicity tours, you know, if you're starting off, you, you, you can offer to do a lot of free stuff, but it gets to a point where you can't just give yourself away either. I say to established authors like Oliver Pomervath, do two, three days publicity tour with a new book in each state if you're gonna travel around. But then it gets to a point where you just can't give yourself away for free, for free, for free, because, and I've worked in schools, and some of you work in schools, schools will take advantage of that. And if they don't pay, they don't appreciate it. Mm. Yeah, it's great advice, Paul. And I remember you saying that to me once. You said, Belinda, that's enough. No yeah, more free stuff. Because some yeah. people like Belinda's done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days free, which is great, but you get to a position where you think, I can't keep doing that. No, you are so right. Um, Dot. So from a publisher's marketing perspective, and this is words of gold, I'm waiting to hear this, what do you think are the key things that an author should do to promote themselves and their books? Good question. Uh, so it varies according to the author and uh, who their audience is, which is very important. Uh, at, generally these days I would say you know, maybe have a website uh, just so people can find you. Uh, if you can do some form of social media, try to do that. Um, but bear in mind for social media, it, once you start it, you need to continue it. So. Do something you're comfortable with. Um, it's got to be genuine. I think, uh, especially now, people can spot marketing, so it has to be authentic. And remember that social media is about being social. And some, what you can do is, like, if you meet a bookseller and you took a photo at a bookstore, tag them in that, thank them. Like, use social media for thanking people and making those social connections. Um, you know. Um, if people review your book positively on social media, jump on and thank them because then you have started a little connection with that person and they're going to remember that. And, and to Paul's point about some of those um, talks that authors might do to maybe a few number of people in the audience, even though you think, oh, there's only three people in the audience, those three people are going to remember that event forever. And, and they really do, you know, 10 years later, we hear stories of people in the audience and they generally will support that author throughout their life. Um, and with the schools market, you know, to Paul's 10 librarians, those librarians, uh, funny thing about librarians, they often say librarians for their whole career. <laughs> so if you win a librarian over early, 40 years later, you're quite often uh, still with them. You know, because with kids' books, uh, kids can grow up and out of the age group, but with um, the librarians and parents, you can speak to them for a longer period. So I think just connect with people and uh, remember that every interaction you have with your audience is a moment to connect and um, follow up on that. Thank you, Dot. I knew you'd have words of wisdom there. Um, social media. So um, I think Dot mentioned this already, but obviously when you're writing children's books, it's different to writing YA, young adult or adult books, because when it comes to social media, you're not communicating directly with those kids. Um, because most kids, of course, shouldn't really be on Facebook or Twitter. So social media is probably more about engaging with the gatekeepers like the parents, the teachers, the librarians, as we've discussed. Um, so Mick, as a kids author, what social media do you normally use and how does it help you? Who are you targeting when you're doing your social media? And last question, how often do you post? I hope you can remember all that. I'll, I'll remind you. 
Um, all really, really relevant stuff for all of us, I think. Um, I mean, it's really, really hard, this first thing I'd say, with, with social media, because um, firstly, it's, it's actually great that we've got it. It's fantastic we've got it in terms of being able to promote yourself. I mean, when I think back to 20 years ago, if you were trying to get the word out about an, an author appearance or about a new book, you, you didn't have all that. So actually, we've got this really, really great platform. However, it's massively fragmented. You've got so many different platforms between Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and the YouTube channel and LinkedIn and all the rest, Facebook, all the rest of it. It's like, okay, you could happily just spend all your time doing that and actually not doing any writing. Um, and so I pretty early on uh, made the choice that I was going to use Instagram as my main platform. And, and what I really, really try to do is make sure that everything I put on there feeds into um, the promotion of um, to my my. Just to say brand, but um, just me as an author. So I don't, I don't distill it with pictures of food or outings to the beach. It's all about, hey, I'm doing an appearance this weekend. I'm going to be there, or I'm, I'm going to be um, releasing this new book or this bookshop or whatever it might be. But I also make sure that I'm, I'm a bit selective because I think the other danger is that if you just are posting so much stuff, it just becomes just scrolling vomit pretty much. And, and I think you know you can. Um, Especially on things like, I mean, I hate Twitter. Actually, I, I barely there because I just can't stand it. But, you know, I, I have seen a, 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 a friend who said, I'm going to you know, start writing this book. And I started tweeting about it. And it was like, oh, I just wrote another sentence. And I can't get it wrong. Oh, I just wrote another sentence. Like, how much writing are you actually doing? It's just, just tweeting. So, um, yeah, so I think you can use, use it to your, you know, to your advantage. It's a great tool. Um, but, you know, make sure you're using it strategically. And, um, yeah, just, I, I guess, don't be too... Don't be too like desperate about it. Is the other thing. Like, I would never, for example, I would never like hold up my um, my uh, Instagram address in, in a event like this. Like I would never just like wantonly, desperately hold up my uh, Instagram. Like, I would never do anything like that. It would just be cheap. It would be a cheap style. It would bring the whole room down. I'd certainly never offer a, a free signed book to the first ten people that followed me on Instagram. In I would never do that. But if you do, just come and see me after that, I might give you a book. Um, so yeah, just don't, don't do cheap stunts and use it, use it strategically, I would say. Do you so have a, a, like, how many times a week do you post, or how many times a month do you post, or whatever? Do you have, like, a... Uh, it, it, there, there's no magic formula, but all, all I would say is, is um, post and tweet when you've got something that is going to engage. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, if I'm doing a period, like I, I posted several times in the lead up to today's event. I was doing the Sydney um, Writers Festival last month and did a whole bunch of uh, tweets right. around because yeah. there's some great stuff going on yeah. and great pictures of you know on stage with awesome people like that, yeah. Amor yeah. and stuff, and, and you know, and, and but the other actually the other thing I would say, and sorry, I've been rabbiting on heaps, but it's, it's actually it is part of being part of a community. Some of the things I love to do the most is to say, hey, you know, Nat's got this great new book we run tomorrow out this week. And post about it and to post that you loved it. And my um, mate Ashley Barton's got a new book coming out and posted about that this week. So it's really, really important, I think, to recognise that you're part of a community and to celebrate the success of other authors and support other authors as well. I think that is such a great tip. I think that's real, that is really important. It's so, so good. Um, Paul? Um, you follow so many amazing children's and YA authors, as well as having your own um, very strong social media presence. So what stands out to you as a good use of social media by authors and writers? Yeah, I mean, I think, what's been said is true. Authentic is everything, isn't it? You know, you can, you can see that through that. Um, I mean, I do post twice a day. One of mine is sort of like, because I run a business, like I might put something up about a book fair. And interesting, I'll, I'll normally pick up a book fair from a new school from doing that, you know. So I, from a business mind, if I want a lot of followers, I'll put a photo of my dad up who's 96 and single and <laughs> 5,000 people will like it, you know. It's just bizarre. All my dogs as well. I go out to schools and some people say, how's Louie and Mo going, you know, they are good? And oh, we don't want any books, can you tell us about Louie and Mo? Um, so sometimes I need to pull back on the dogs. But <laughs> B, um, I think, I keep saying position of humility and affirmation is the key, you know? If you look egocentric, um, narcissistic, I'm just about pushing myself, um, it doesn't work. It's all about karma, isn't it, you know? Um, goodwill, know that it's chipping away gradually, you know? And we all know it's a game, it's not real. It doesn't, you might have, 20,000 followers, but they're not your friends, you know what I mean? So it's a game and Chris is nodding, you've got to know what it is, be affirming, 
be humble, um, but in the same way, put yourself forward. And that's a hard thing to do. But be authentic. You can't, if you don't naturally tap dance, don't do TikTok and dance, you know? It's, it's lame, you know? Um, someone asked me at school, could I do a dance the other day for their school TikTok? Have you seen me dance? No, I'm not doing that. So you just got to be you. And sometimes the best authors, um, like Stephen Michael King, is so quiet and shy. Has anyone seen him present? Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, you can hear a pin drop. So on social media or in person, you just got to be yourself um, and not be vain. If you're vain, put it aside, not be vain. Mm, yeah, great advice. Um, do, does social media sell books? And if so, do you find some platforms are more powerful than another? Okay, that's the very big million dollar question. Does it sell books? Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> so, and um, and sometimes we don't know why it worked, and other times we have an idea. Uh, look, uh, um, TikTok lately has been selling a lot of YA yep. books, yep. And, but it's not so much the publisher that has started that trend, or sometimes even the author. Yep. It has been the genuine reader out there posting videos of how the book made them cry <laughs> and the emotional response. So um, social media does sell books, but quite often it has to be the readers that um, will start that big wave and then you can write it. I mean, if you look at some of the books that are doing really well right now, they came out four years ago and only did so much. And now, you know, readers have discovered them and um, going crazy. And then for some followers, um, yeah, actually, uh, you can see they might announce the book comes out. The next day, we see stats. Uh, we had all these pre-orders on our website. Yeah. Other authors that have the same number of followers and should be able to do the same thing, the next day, we don't see anything. So it, it just varies, and it depends on what's meant to be your audience, the engagement. Um, and if everyone knew the answer, we'd all be, every single book would be a bestseller. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just, I just wondered if you had any tips to add to what um, Nick and Paul have already said. And also, do you have a recommendation? Do you say to your authors, oh, please post, you know, twice a day like Paul or once a week? Or do you have any recommendations from that point of view? I think um, when Mick said he was on Insta, I think that is the kindest, one of the kindest ones to be on. Uh, I wouldn't recommend Twitter. Um, yeah personally. Um, <laughs> that said, you can be on there yourself just to see what other people are doing. Um, you know, I'm not one to talk because I'm hopeless on social myself, but I uh, do have accounts mainly so I can <laughs> like other people. Um, and I guess uh, being authentic, but I guess, you know, and, and Paul's point about being humble and is definitely true. Um, a break is boring at the end of the day. Um, so you've got to have something that's interesting. Like, what is the person getting out of your post at the end of the day? Um, they're my tips. And and in terms of frequency, it, it, I think it's when you have something to say. Yep. And sometimes what you have to say could just be excitement about someone else's book. Yep. So, but it has to be something. Something, not just, yeah, flowers. Yeah. I quite like flowers sometimes. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, I just wanted to move along because I wanted to leave time for you guys to ask some questions. Um, so um, I wanted to talk about building longevity because it's so exciting to get your first, so exciting to get your first book published. It's amazing, but really for um, all of us, it's this idea of building a career as a writer. Um, so Paul, you know the publishing industry from every angle. I reckon creative publisher, bookseller. So. And you know so many authors. What, what do you reckon is the key to sort of building this longer career as an author? Sorry, I forgot the mic. A longer career as an author. Yeah, you know, you're only as good as... It's cruel to say this. You're sometimes as good as your last book or the last couple of books, don't you think? So you can't rest on laurels, I think. Someone said to me the other day, my name's on the book, people will buy it. <laughs> and I thought, no. I don't think so. You say something about being vain before and being humble? The person in the room now. Um, <laughs> but in terms of longevity, I think, you know, I said before, it's chipping away, it's hard work. It's good to know that the average Australian author who's published earns less than 15000 I think. A lot of people in the room who are authors are getting out there, it's through speaking, um, and they're willing to train up in those different areas. I know a lot of authors who, 
You phone me and say, look, I've got to go into schools. I've never been in a school before. What do I do? Um, you know, I used to train teachers, so that, that's sort of my background. But um, I do think you've just got to chip away, chip away, and know it's hard work and not lose sight of your core business, which is writing a story that engages. So everything that Deborah Bellard said this morning, that's the first thing to remember, isn't it? And then worry about social media and other things. Yeah. No, and that brings longevity. Um, now, this I've been waiting to ask this question for weeks. Mick, oh. you once <laughs> said that everything you know about writing books for kids came from TV. What were the key lessons? <laughs> you said it to me. What were the key lessons you learned um, about writing? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's two things, because I've, I've been working as a TV producer and writer for about 15 years before my first book came out. Um, but, so there's, there's, there's two things I'll say. One is that in TV, um, you have to think about the audience all the time. Anything you create, you are always having to think about the audience. Is what I'm creating going to hit the mark with the audience that this is intended for? And what audience is this intended for? because you'll be told pretty quickly if you're not hitting the mark, whether it's a script idea or whatever it is. Um, so that's the first thing. I think as, as writers, um, you know, before anyone sits out to, to write a manuscript, you should go into a bookshop and look at other books and go, okay, where would my book sit in amongst this? And you can see in every bookshop, especially in kids, it's very clearly defined whether it's gonna be uh, a book for, you know, that, that parents are gonna read to their babies, so a new picture book, is it gonna be something for a preschooler? Is it gonna be something for that sort of five to eight year old? Is it gonna be middle grade? Is it gonna be older middle grade? Is it gonna be, you need to know exactly who you are writing it for because if you don't know that yourself, you won't be able to communicate that to an agent or a publisher because that's what a publisher wants to know. All right, okay, so this is a book a bit like the Treehouse series. It's for kids that are seven to 10 and it's gonna have, if you don't know that, you know, that's gonna be a problem. So know, know your audience and write for that audience and make sure that everything you are putting on the page is for that audience. Um, and the other thing I would say that I learned from TV is do not be precious. Do not be precious. One of the earliest experiences I had when I started at Nickelodeon in my, in my 20s was having to pitch in amongst my ideas in amongst a room full of people and being told, no, no, no. And it's brutal. Like it is brutal, but it very quickly makes you realise you cannot be precious about your ideas. It doesn't matter if you spent a year working on it. If it doesn't hit the mark, move on, get on to the next thing. Don't, don't be precious. And you, you do, do develop a thick skin. Of course it hurts. And of course you go home at night and go, <laughs> but you just got to move on because everyone, everyone's been there and maybe the next idea will be the right one. So think about your audience and just you know, don't, don't be precious. Move on to the next idea. Oh, gold. Absolute gold, that advice. Um, and Dot, um, just wondered, what's the difference between working for a large publishing house, um, as an author I mean, what's the difference between working for a large publishing house like Penguin Random House, a mid-sized publisher or a small boutique house? And, um, and I just wondered if you had any advice for writers about building this strong relationship with a publisher once, once you, you, know, you, you, you get in the door. Um, so obviously I worked for Penguin Random House, which is one of the largest, well, the, the largest, largest publisher <laughs> in Australia. Um, but before that, you know, I was on the Random House side, so we were a smaller publisher at that point. And I think um, regardless of the size of the publisher, um, try to build a relationship with with your editor and publisher, but your marketing team as well, marketing and publicity, um, that will pay off. Uh, because we invest in our authors and we invest in the brands and sometimes we know um, there's a certain amount we might do for a book <laughs> and we do that level for every book that comes out. But sometimes if we know that we're going to have the next three books with the author, we're also going to look to the next three years ahead. And it really helps us with planning. It means um, it's going to be easier for us to put the author forward for things in a year's time or things like that because we have that confidence that their next book is going to be with us. Uh, so regardless of which publisher you go with, um, you know, of course you can publish in, with different places and uh, there are various reasons for that because sometimes one publisher might specialise in a different kind of book than another. In terms of you know being big, um, one of the things if you haven't chosen a publisher or if you have the luxury of choosing a publisher, not many people do. Um, you know, it's not just about um, the editing process or the marketing, publicity. There are other concerns like you know uh, the sales team or how are they going to distribute the books and getting books in the bookstore. There's all this other behind the scenes thing that people 
uh, rarely think about. Um, it's probably not the bigger consideration when you're getting your first book done because you're so excited about it. But there's all this behind the scenes that goes on as well. Um, but publishers generally, we work really well together. Um, and I think that's probably it. Was there anything else you wanted to know? No, no, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Dot. Um, I'm going to skip to, um, so that we've got time for questions. I'm going to skip to just maybe if, um, before we go to audience questions, I thought I'd finish off by asking for any last words of wisdom from our speakers. And we might start with Mick and then go to Dot and then to Paul. So, words of wisdom, Mick. Um, I would just say if, uh, you know, if you're currently working on something and trying to you know, get your manuscript sold or bought, just, um, just know it's a long process. It's a really long process. I, before I got my first um, publishing deal for the Turners, um, I had written a whole other manuscript which went nowhere um, and I'd been um, knocked back by pretty much every agent and publisher before I found the right combination and the timing worked out with the Turners. Um, that was 10 years ago I started writing that book, so it's long. It takes a really long time. <coughs> Um, be kind to yourself. Remember why you're doing it. You know, you're wanting to tell a story. You're wanting to create something that, that's great. Um, and just know it's a long process. And, and also just engage with the community. This is such a great community. You know, there are infinite, wonderful platforms on the groups on, on Facebook. There are amazing um, resources like the New South Wales Writing Centre. Um, get involved with them. Get involved with the CBCA and um, be part of the community because you'll meet other authors, you'll meet other people and um, it's a really special tribe. It's a really wonderful community to be part of. So, yeah, really embrace it. Dot. I think, think about the fact that uh, it's not just about one book. <laughs> it's, it's a career as a writer and um, there's going to be a next book and a next book unless you bring out To Kill a Mockingbird in which you can just... So think, you know, you, you've got to get past that first book and but always be thinking of the next one and what your career, where you want to be in three years. And Paul? In terms of booksellers, um, booksellers want to meet authors. And you know what, as a bookseller, if you've met you know, Oliver Pond and you think, he's a great guy, booksellers will sell your book. But a word of advice, ring, let, let bookstores know that you're going to come in a week or two because it takes about a week to get stock in. So if I've run out of Belinda Morrell stock, if Belinda rings me a week before, I can order some books in to get signed. You know, But um, it's just have a good relationship and think for the long term. Um, I think is, is really important, actually. Yeah, that's great advice, Paul. And I'm not really good at that one. <laughs> Ringing before I mean. um, I just wondered, I just wanted to leave a, a few minutes if anyone had any questions they would like to ask our amazing panel, because it's such a great knowledge here. Yes, please. Um, you've mentioned how you need to, like a first-time author, or a, even a, a long-standing author, you need to get out there and see people, but as a first-time author, how do you know who to see and who to approach? Does your publisher or your agent tell you how to do that? Do they give you the list? Do you get called by first-time authors saying, I've got a book, and do you go, who the heck That's you? Oh. <laughs> so what's, what's that right process? If you're quite prepared to um, promote yourself, what is... How do you know how to do that? Yeah, I mean, usually, if um, so, if your if your book is going out through a publisher, you will have worked with the publishing department, the, sorry, the marketing department of that publisher, and um, they in the lead up will arrange all sorts of stuff for you. But you know, you can also um, once you know the, the date that your book is coming out, again, then it's a case of like call around, call around all, all the local bookstores, and then go, okay, for the next like a couple of years back when um, the second and third books of my Turner series were coming out, I, I literally called. Um, a whole bunch of bookstores, and in the four weeks leading up to Christmas, every Saturday morning, I went to two different bookstores and said, hey, is it okay if I come for two hours? And, I, and like Paul said, they made sure that they had stock and so on there. Um, so that's, really, that's a really, really important part of it. Um, again, I'm lucky enough that for my author appearances, I've got representation for that as well through a company called Booked Out. They arrange a lot of the um, school visits and that sort of thing, but it's just a case of slow it up. Chicken wire. I had no idea when I started either, but once once the ball starts rolling, it's just a process of pushing it along. And can I just add to what Mick said? Um, I, I was really guided by the amazing marketing team um, for my books, and one thing they said to me was just let us know what you're doing so that we don't, you know, so that they don't do something and then I do something that's clashing or that they've already responded, they've already talked to Paul and they've already lined up something amazing and then I bother Paul unnecessarily. So it's just that working together with your, your publicity team. And if they're not doing anything, 
which would never happen. But if they're not doing anything, then you go, okay, well, that's fine, this is what I'm doing, and let them know so that they can make sure, maybe follow up the bookstores and make sure they're stocking, stocking in or they can support you with, I don't know, some marketing materials or things like that. So just work closely with them and don't might want to add to that. I think that's a good point um, because it, it's, um, it's a relationship that it's going to benefit you. And it's even the publicity, we might just let the account manager know who the field sells and they'll ring the bookstore for you and say, an author's going to drop by, can you stock up? So it helps and it sometimes makes it easier for, for you, especially when you're a debut author mm. uh, for that. Now, Belinda, can I give a shameless plug yeah, for no, something okay. that I think everyone should do? Sign up to newsletters for your the publishers, because um, then you find out what kind of books are coming out, what they're interested in, and we are doing a reader survey right now, um, and I'll send around these postcards, you can win a prize, I won't talk too much about it, but it's about um, connecting with our audience, this reader survey we're doing is so we can find out how we can better help promote our authors. Yes. Um, but newsletters are a great way to see uh, what the publishers are looking for, what they're bringing out, all that kind of thing. subtext around morals and things, you know, how, how much should you lead with that. But what, what, I, I can't remember who said this, I heard another writing podcast, but uh, no, no child ever goes, I want to sit down for a nice bedtime lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really, really important that you lead with your, with your story, lead with the characters, lead with all the reasons that a, a reader will love it. Um, and then, I mean, often a book will have um, like Q&A in the back. It might have questions for teachers in the back of the book. Or the publisher might create like a teacher's guide that goes with it. Um, so I think it's important that you know that. It's important that you can articulate that to an agent or a publisher to say, this is a book about it. Again, to say like my book of Turners, this is a book about a boy who turns into animals and he can't help it and he has a crazy adventure. But actually also, um, it explores themes around puberty, it explores themes and so on and so on. Um, so just don't leave with it, but be able to articulate it. Um, I'm sorry we don't have time for any more questions, um, but first of all I'd just like to say that some of our authors is going to be a 15 minute break where we can get, you can get buy books, get them signed by authors um, and um, you know, go to the bathroom or whatever, but can we give our amazing panel <laughs> Really came for this panel because we knew we'd learned something. <laughs> to hear more, subscribe to the Writing New South Wales podcast on iTunes.